Well, good morning. Welcome to the second week of our seminars. We are in our second week of thinking through how the Bible tells us to make decisions. And as we talked about last week, our goal is not to be anxious decision makers, but restful. Restful. Uh, a big piece of being a restful, circumst- uh, a restful decision maker uh, is understanding God's sovereignty over our circumstances and our decisions and how our responsibility fits into that. So that's the question we're going to look at today. But before we go any further, I just want to open it up with a question. If God were not sovereign, how would that change the way Christians make decisions? Any thoughts? If God were not sovereign, how would that change the way Christians make decisions? Any thoughts? Okay. Why would we be Christians if God isn't sovereign? That's a fair response. You'd be making your own decisions, okay. Without God's guidance, okay. I'm sorry? We wouldn't pray about it, okay. That's a good point. A lot more stressful. Okay, that's a good point. Okay? Those are all good. My prayer is that by the end of the class, you'll see how glorious the truth of God's sovereignty is, how it is the bedrock of our trust, and how it gives peace to our decision making. Uh, I would argue that we can't even begin to make decisions in a biblical way without understanding how it fits with God's sovereignty. So... We're going to start off by thinking through what it means that God is sovereign. We'll consider what goal he is using all of his sovereign power to accomplish. We'll think through how that fits with our responsibility. And finally, we'll finish with some practical implications of how it all fits for our decision making. So first, God is sovereign. I just want to invite you to grab the notes. If you don't have those, those will just kind of help you. What I mean by that is the biblical teaching that all things are under God's rule and control and that nothing happens without his direction or permission. God works not just some things, but all things according to the counsel of his own will, Ephesians 1.11. Let's just step through some of those. Okay, So first, God is sovereign over our circumstances. One of the most well-known verses in all of Scripture Regards God's, or, yeah, regards God's sovereignty over our circumstances, and it comes in Genesis 50, verse 20, which says this. As for you, you meant evil against me. This is Joseph speaking. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. The circumstance in question here is Joseph being sold into slavery by his brothers. Was God in control of that? Yes, Absolutely. Though it was evil, and they meant it for evil, he meant it for good. Through Joseph's time in Egypt, God saved thousands from starvation, including the chosen family of Israel from whom the Messiah would come. By the way, that's where we are at the end of Genesis when we pick up in Exodus as we're going to start this morning. Uh, And we're also going to pick up on God's sovereignty in Exodus this morning. And I, I promise you, this wasn't like planned. I'm not that good of a planner. It's just providence. Um... So, every circumstances, even the hard ones, are within the control of a sovereign God. Second, God is sovereign over our past and our future. Isaiah 46.10 says, I will make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. 
I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. So no random string of events here. Everything that's happened in your life has been within God's control and everything that's yet to come as well. He is sovereign over circumstances. He's sovereign over the past. He's sovereign over the future. Third, God is sovereign over our decisions. Psalm 33, 10-11 says, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. No matter what we decide, the outcome is entirely in God's hand. Fourth and finally, God is sovereign over even our hearts. Proverbs 21, 1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. There's an implicit argument in this verse from the greater to the lesser. If God's sovereign over the hearts of kings, how much more is he sovereign over our hearts? So we don't live in a haphazard universe that's come into being by chance or progress or anything like that. We live in an ordained universe that was created by God and is actively governed by God. And at first that may seem terrifying. (laughs) It could feel powerless to consider someone so powerful until we remember his good purposes. He uses all of his power for good, which leaves us not terrified, but comforted, peaceful, and at rest. And that rest has a direct impact on how we make decisions. Now, but before we go, for, before we go to our decisions, we need to just ask and answer the question, what is the good he's using his sovereignty to accomplish? That's our next point. To put it simply... God's overarching goal behind all that he does is to show off how stupid amazing he is. Okay? It is to glorify himself. Like a master painter whose canvas is the whole universe, God is sovereignly governing every single event down to the most minute detail in order to bring himself glory. He made people to show off his glory. Think of Isaiah 43, 7. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed and made. And with our sovereign God behind it, that's where history is going to end up. Habakkuk says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You see this through all scripture. Why did God rescue his people uh, from the mighty nation of Egypt? We'll see this morning in more detail, but God tells Pharaoh, For this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power, so that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. There are seats up here, front row Baptists. Come on now. Come on. I don't spit too much when I talk. So, why rescue the people from the hand of Babylon after the exile? Ezekiel 36:22. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations which you came. Why did God send Jesus to the earth? John 1.14 And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. 
And why did Jesus go to the cross to save us from our sins? Ephesians 1.11 In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. Yes. Unpacking that last verse for just a moment. We were predestined for God. He works out all things according to the counsel of His will. Why? To the praise of His glory. It's a song we sing. To the praise of your glory and grace. It's a great song. And why is Jesus coming back? 2 Thessalonians 1.10 To be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. Here is the reality, brothers and sisters. What is God about? God is about himself. Who is God for? God is for himself. What undergirds all that God does? The praise of himself. Now that might strike you as odd, maybe even offensive. We're sitting here trying to figure out how to make decisions in the context of a God who works all things to the praise of himself. Are we really okay with that? Is he really that vain and insecure? Well, here's how Oprah Winfrey describes her walk away from traditional Christianity. I don't know if you guys have heard this before. She was describing being in a church service where the preacher was talking about the attributes of God, his omnipotence, his omnipresence. Here's the quote. Here it is. Quote, Then he said... The Lord thy God is a jealous God. I was caught up in rapture of that moment until he said jealous and something struck me. I was 27 or 28 and I was thinking God is all, God is, God is omnipresent, God is jealous? A jealous God? A God is jealous of me? And something about that didn't feel right in my spirit because I believe that God is love and God is in all things, end quote. Let me ask you a question. Why would we want to serve a God who is all about himself? I actually don't want you to answer. I'm going to answer. But why would we serve a God who is all about himself? Two reasons. Number one, because he is the most excellent and beautiful and perfect being in the universe. That God is working everything out for the praise of his glory. That is exactly as it should be. And number two, what better thing could we be about? Listen to John Piper put this truth into the mouth of Jesus, reflecting on Jesus' prayer in John 18, that we see his glory. He says this, If you find your ultimate joy in your most cherished earthly treasure, you will be disappointed in the end, and I will be dishonored. This is as though Jesus were speaking. He's just Using different words. If you find your ultimate joy in your most cherished earthly treasure, you will be disappointed in the end and I will be dishonored. Because I am offering myself to you as the most all-satisfying beauty and greatness and wisdom and strength and love in the universe. I am what you were made for and I am telling you that if you see this, if you see me as your supreme treasure then you don't have to choose between your satisfaction and my glorification. Because in the very act of your being most satisfied in me, I will be most glorified in you. 
What Piper's pointing out is that if you delight in God, if you glorify God, so, so your satisfaction and your happiness, that's, that's actually not at odds with God's glory. It's, 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 it's not like either God can be glorified or you can be happy. It's, it's, it's actually that God is most glorified when you are most satisfied in Him. And I hope that makes sense to you. If you delight in God, then you live and love and talk and act like God and for God. And what does that do? It brings Him glory, right? That brings Him glory. So, in every decision you make, you need to understand that it is being made inside a universe that is absolutely under the control of a sovereign God. That his sovereign power is at work to accomplish one great aim, which is to showcase the excellence of his, excellency of his glory, and he will accomplish that aim. Okay, it all seems biblical and well and good, but how exactly do these truths square with a class on decision making? If God's going to do what God's going to do, and what's more... If, he's gonna, if what he's going to do is uh, the best thing perfectly imaginable to the praise of his glory, then why stress about our decisions, right? Well, because the Bible makes it clear that we are responsible for our actions. We are responsible for our actions. Just to give you one example of many, just think about Jesus' words in Matthew 12, 36 and 37. He says, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. We are responsible for the decisions that we make. Even the decision of what words we use on a daily basis. Even the words we use carelessly. And so our responsibility is to aim our lives at the one aim that God has, right? Which is His glory, 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Yes, everyone is awake. Remember, you can caffeinate yourself in the back. And if it gets hot, I got crazy hot last Sunday when I was preaching, and I don't think it was just me. Those of you who are with me in classes often, I'm like, is it just hot in here? It was hot in the sanctuary last week during the service. Yes? I was like, man, I'm preaching on Genesis. These people are all going to go to sleep. It is hot. This is not cool. Deacons, help me out. Show me some love this Sunday if it gets really hot in here. Okay. Um, oh, the fans are going to be like on high and bulletins are going to go everywhere. Um, don't do that. Okay. So the Bible never fully explains how our responsibility coexists with God's sovereignty. Uh, and, and frankly, it makes sense that some aspects of life with an infinite God just don't fit into our finite brains. But the Bible does make the case for both very forcibly. God is sovereign over everything, period, end of story. We are responsible for the decisions that we make, period, end of story. And the goal of both our work and his is to show off his glory. Okay? So what implications does this have for how we make decisions? That's what we're going to spend the rest of the class on. I just want to zero in on three specific applications of that truth. Three specific applications of that truth. First, <clears throat> our motivation in making decisions is to be responsible. 
It is to be faithful stewards of what God has given us. This point is so important and it is so counterintuitive that we'll spend a whole class on it in a few weeks, but just a few words on it here. The world around us makes decisions with the goal of securing specific results. Okay? You get the car so that you can go to the grocery store. You exercise so that you can be healthy. You marry so-and-so so that you can have a happy marriage. It just seems pretty uncontroversial, right? Actually, not so much. Does God need you to go to the grocery store to feed you? Does God need you to exercise to keep you in good health? Does God need you to be married for you to be happy? Does he need any of this in order to accomplish his plans for his glory? No. Psalm 50, verse 12. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. You see, it's actually just plain silly in our universe to make decisions in order to accomplish something. If God needs that done, God will do it. He didn't need anyone's help in creating the world. He didn't need anyone's help in destroying the Egyptians' army. He didn't need any help in raising Christ from the dead. He didn't need any help in making Saul the persecutor, Paul the apostle. Now, I recognize that God's normal way to feed me is my trip to the grocery store. Soon enough, it'll be my click on Amazon Prime and just some drone is going to drop off my groceries. But his normal means of keeping me healthy is exercise. But as a Christian, I make those decisions not in order to secure the results as if anything is really within uh, my control in this world, but to be responsible with the time, the money, and the relationships that God has given me. I'd even go so far as to suggest that if you find yourself constantly frustrated and unhappy with the circumstances in your life, brothers and sisters, it is probably in part because you've forgotten that your value isn't found in the results you uh, gain or, or don't gain. It's how in your faithfulness in the decisions you make, you show off the glory of God. In other words, your work is valuable mainly because of how it shows off His work in you. Does that make sense? A person motivated by results is going to live in constant frustration because if value is found through what we're able to produce or achieve or get done, then we're always going to have to produce or achieve or get things done in order to feel joy. But a person who is motivated instead by faithfulness will understand that regardless of the situation we find ourselves in, whether we're at the bottom of the corporate ladder or the top, whether, whether we're single or married, whether we're widowed or whether we're empty nesters or whether we're just starting a family, a person motivated by faithfulness doesn't find their joy in circumstances. Instead, this is so key, they use their circumstances as a mean to display their joy in Christ, which glorifies God. So it's about faithfulness and responsibility in doing, being faithful with what God's given us, not to achieve a specific result. Does that make sense? Next, motivated by meaning. 
The second way these truths should affect how we live today is that we should be motivated by the meaning that God gives to everything. Everything in our created order has great meaning and value and purpose because it's been ordained. It's been appointed by a sovereign creator who never does anything in vain. And what that means is that we should be a people who understand and embrace that everything from saving a life to stubbing a toe has meaning. God's sovereignty gives meaning to our decisions in two ways. Okay? Number one... Meaning for what we do. So God allows nothing to happen that does not contribute to his grand narrative of meaning. So that is, the story of this universe is telling about the excellence and glory of God. Everything that happens, happens for a purpose because our universe is governed by a sovereign God and praise God because he is good. The purpose behind everything is ultimately good. Okay? So... Next, meaning for how we do what we do. So we have meaning in all that we do, and meaning for how we do what we do. Here's the deal. Life is full of disappointments. As Moses wrote, most likely at the end of his life, the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Psalm 90, verse 10. If you get to the end of your life and all you see around you is failure and wreckage, has it been a waste? I'm sure that Moses probably thought at the end of his long life with the people grumbling and wandering in the wilderness that it was a waste. I've raised my kids, but they've made a mess of their lives. I've, I've poured myself into this business venture and it's gone under. I lived for my marriage and now my spouse is dead. Are memories all that I have? Right? Praise God. In a universe governed by God, the answer is a resounding no. God is accomplishing His purposes, not simply by the results of what you do, but by what your work says about Him. So, were you faithful in raising your kids? Were you faithful in your job? Were you faithful in your marriage? And did it showcase the beauty of the gospel? Then if so, your life has been a giant billboard advertising the faithfulness of our faithful God. No matter what you have left in your hands at the end of your life, your life can have been rich in meaning if it has contributed to God's aim for the universe, which is the proclamation of his glory. That's going to be the Sunday school answer for this one. Usually it's Jesus, right? Um, so, but this one, it's God's glory. So if I just have any pause, you just say God's glory. Okay, yeah. You just say God's glory. Okay. So I just want to think through this in just a bit more detail. Um, how does God's sovereignty give meaning? How does God's sovereignty give meaning? Well, first it gives meaning to the mundane. It gives meaning to the mundane. According to Scripture, the truth that God is sovereign over the smallest details of life is just self-evident. I think about Matthew 10, 29-31. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet one of them, yet not one of them, think about that, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your Father's care. 
And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not be afraid. You are worth more than sparrows. So let's just make this real. Is your washer or dryer broken? The Larsons say, yes, it's our washer. Thank you very much. Um, Larsons, I just, I just talked about your broken dryer. So just so you know. Washer, washer. But about God's sovereignty over mundane details. Is your washer broken? God is sovereign over that. You know? Did your car break down yesterday? God is sovereign over that. Uh, yesterday was the jamboree. They were supposed to have the, uh, the, the whole park, the, the, the soccer jamboree. For those of you who are out of this stage, I, I envy you. Um, but, but they were supposed to have the parking lot being paved on the day that there was the soccer jamboree. And I was just having to tell myself yesterday morning, God is sovereign over this. Uh, turns out the paving was canceled. God is sovereign over this. Um, <laughs> But all of these things, all of these things, you know, did you get into a fight this morning with your spouses? You were trying to get the kids out and they're, you know, they're fussing and you're just like, I just got to get out of that. God is sovereign over that. Okay? God is sovereign over all of that. Nothing is too small not to have purpose. Nothing happens by chance in this life. As Proverbs 16.33 says, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Even the mundane is working for his purposes. Even, I would say especially the mundane is working for his purposes. Because it's in the mundane where we really have trouble being faithful. At least I do. Okay? So I don't have, I don't have trouble preaching on Sunday morning. I have trouble on Tuesday when I'm frustrated by something in my mind. That's when I have trouble being faithful, is responding to that very practical circumstance at my home. Uh, or if I'm out and about responding in faithfulness. I have trouble in the mundane, and I'm assuming you have trouble in the mundane too, right? But all of those things are sovereign. All of those things have, God is sovereign over all those things. All those things have purpose, and our responsibility in it is just to be faithful. And we know that it's not random, right? It's not random. It's, 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 God is sovereign over it for our good and for his glory. All those itty bitty little things, right? It gives, it gives a whole lot of comfort, Donda even just texted me last week that, 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 that Bob was lost for a period of time. And even in that moment, I'm praying for Bob. I know God's sovereign over this. It gives me comfort, right? By the way, Bob was found. Is he doing okay? Okay. Mm. Good. So it gives meaning to the mundane, and it also gives meaning to our relationships. Acts 16:26 and 27 says, For from one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundary of their lands. God did this so that they should seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not very far from any one of us. I, I want this verse to just leave us in awe of the awesomeness of God. Think about this. Consider how many people are in this class right now. How many people are in this class? Like you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I'm not going to count all of you. There are a lot of you in this class right now. There are. I'm sorry. Oh, Cheryl counted. Okay. Uh, so there are a lot of you. All of us born at different times to different families in different states and countries, all in various events. 
Uh, and, and think about all the various events that have happened to all of us throughout our entire lives, all of our stub toes, all of our missed appointments, all of our job transfers, and it has brought each one of us here today. Consider the number of events together in all of our lives that would have to conspire to bring us together today at this very moment. It is immense. And what does that have to do with our relationships? Well, why do you have the neighbors you have? Why are you sitting next to the person you're sitting next to? Why do you have the co-workers you currently have? Why will you run into seemingly random people throughout the week? Because God has placed all of us in each other's lives, whether we're talking about close friends or encounters with strangers, and he's put us where he has so that we would all seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not very far from any of us. That's what that text says. Consider how that would affect the conversation you have with your hairdresser or barber, right? Consider what that means for you as you interact with your neighbors and your co-workers. There is no such thing as a chance encounter. Every single relationship, every single person you run into, all of these things have been sovereignly placed in your life by God for a purpose. And your role is to be faithful and help others seek God and find God. Third, God gives meaning to our work. I think this is very encouraging. Uh, God gives meaning to our work. It's in the realm of work that the image of God in man reflects most clearly God as creator. In Genesis 1, God creates the universe and then he proceeds to take the land that was formless and void and shaped it into a land that was habitable for man to live. And then he created man to inhabit the land and what? Work the land. Work is basic to our function as humans. Greg Gilbert in the Gospel at Work says this, quote, In one way or another, your job somehow involves the work of bringing beauty out of ugliness, order out of chaos, perhaps unassembled pieces are pulled together to make a widget used to create a prod, uh, product, or natural products are identified, isolated, and harvested to create something new, sickness is treated, injustice is rectified, broken windows are repaired, cracked sidewalks are fixed, end quote. Not only do we find meaning in the reflection of God's image in the creative aspect of our work, but we also find meaning in the way God uses our jobs to sharpen us and to make us more like Christ. Think of God's sovereignty for a second. Think of God's sovereignty for just a second in bringing Jacob to work for Laban. Jacob went to work for Laban, who then in turn took advantage of Jacob for 14 years. Do you remember that? <laughs> Yet it wasn't without its purpose. Not only was God sovereignly orchestrating the lineage that, so that Jesus, would, that Jesus would come from, he was also using it to sharpen Jacob in the process. As Paul reminds the Ephesians, whether our work is difficult or enjoyable, it is all done unto God. God is our boss. And so whatever workplace we're in, you know, whether it's home Mickey D's, Global Foundries, Independent Contractor, Law Enforcement, whatever it may be, it is used by God to shape us and to change us 
and to make us more into the image of God. So even our work has meaning. So you're not just doing meaningful things for God when you're talking about explicitly spiritual things with neighbors, coworkers, friends, family members. You're doing spiritual things for God when you're being faithful in your job. And that is significant and encouraging because that's where you spend much of your day. Moms, you spend much of your day with your kids at home if you are a uh, mom who's not working outside the home. Dads, you spend much of your day at work. And all of those things are meaningful and being used by God for some ultimate good end and a good end in your own life and your sanctification and making you more like Jesus. So it's meaningful. So don't wake up and think, what am I doing this for? Well, you're doing this because this is what God has for you today. That's why you're doing it. He's sovereign over it and it's for your good and it's meaningful. That is so, is that not stupid encouraging? That is stupid encouraging. It really is. So, let me conclude with one final implication of God's sovereignty in decision making, and then we'll just have some time for questions and discussion, okay? One final implication of God's sovereignty in decision making. We can be at peace as we make our decisions because God is sovereign. Jesus was very clear in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not be anxious about your life, Matthew 6.25. But decisions are some of the most anxiety-provoking aspects of life, especially if you're young. Think about when you were young and you were thinking about college and careers and jobs or spouses. Whoa, that's like really stressful, right? So how can we not be anxious in making decisions? By remembering that God is in control. Listen to Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. For I am God, and there is none other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Brothers and sisters, do you think your decision can thwart his sovereign good purpose? Do you think your decision can thwart... God's good and sovereign purpose. Do you really think that you have the power to mess up your life if God has ordained it for good? I have good news for you. Psalm 84.11 says that God will not withhold good from those who walk uprightly. God will not withhold good from those who walk uprightly. I hope you hear that. I hope you hear that. God will not withhold good from you. We may struggle to see how things in our lives are, in fact, good at that moment, but I am confident that if we could see it from God's perspective, and we one day will, we would know and we will know that He was and is and will be doing everything that is going on in our lives amidst our present circumstances, which might be very discouraging for our good, and if we could see it from God's perspective, and we ultimately will see it from God's perspective, we will stand back and we will wish for nothing to have changed. We will wish for nothing to have changed. We will say, you did everything just right in my life. Thank you, Father. That's what we will say. We care about making decisions we make, not because we think that a bad decision will somehow remove us from God's will or thwart His purposes, but because we want to be responsible. 
We want to be responsible because that's what it looks like to be a faithful steward and faithfulness brings God glory. So when you have a hard decision to make, do your best to make it well. Do your best to do it in a way that pleases God and then sit back and relax in the unwavering, unstoppable, uncompromising power of God for your good who works out all things according to the counsel of his will. That is a bedrock of restful decision-making. Okay, So I just want to open it up for questions. We've got about seven minutes or so. I want to be faithful to our time. What questions do you have? Thoughts? Questions? Chris? Yes. Yeah, let's not forget. We, I mean, we do live in God's world, which does have consequences. Forgiveness does not remove any and all consequences uh, for us. Just think about David and his sin with Bathsheba. He was forgiven for that sin, but there was the outworking of consequences in his life as it relates to strife within his household um, throughout the rest of his life. That was a consequence of God, and it was used by God for his good to sanctify him. Um, so... Yes, God, I mean, God does still bring circumstances, but those circumstances are ultimately going to be for our good. Other thoughts, other questions? You're bound to have some. Josiah. Providence is the outworking of God's sovereignty. That's what providence is. Providence is his carrying out all of his sovereign will uh, in and through history in our lives. That's providence. So when we say we're going to have a pot providence uh, lunch, um, (laughs) that's what I mean. Come on out. Or keep it true. Any other questions? <laughs> Kevin. So if we make decisions primarily to achieve results, uh, I think that leads to either pride or frustration. So it leads to pride when we do them well. It leads to frustration if we don't do them well. And it leads to a sense of either, you know, puffing ourselves up that aren't we so good we've done this or we're so terrible because we haven't been able to do this. And I'm saying I think the motivation for decision making should not be specifically results, but faithfulness in, and, res- and being responsible to use the gifts and talents that God has given us um, for his glory. So motivation in decision making, not results, motivation in decision making, faithfulness, which leads to glorify God in whatever circumstances happen, and it also leads, by the way, more toward our joy than otherwise, which is so counterintuitive, right? It's so counterintuitive, but it's the truth, that if we simply try to be faithful in all of our decisions, if that's our motivation, 
then that's going to lead towards more joy. Ming Young. That is a great question. Um, And to that I would say that we just have to, in one sense, stand on Scripture, which just states that all things ultimately bring glory of God, um, even ultimately judgment. So you brought up one particular example, but, but even the judgment of the wicked is going to ultimately bring glory to God. Think about Revelation 19 and how uh, the smoke of, of Babylon will rise up forever and ever, and the company of the redeemed praise God for this um, because it's right. Uh, and that's something that we shy away from a little bit in our day because we're like, ooh, that just seems so judgmental and so harsh. But we, have, we just have to stand upon God's word at times, not understanding how all of these things work themselves out in real time because it's complicated. And the reality is uh, we do still live in a fallen world. We are responsible for our actions. Sin is still really sin. God is sovereign over it. Um, but it is still sin. Uh, it is not good. We must flee from it. We don't understand how some of those things come together philosophically. It's kind of hard to tie all the knots tightly. So in that sense, I'm a simple guy. So I think the best thing to do is to grab a hold of really foundational truths and just hold on to them for all we're worth. I think the foundational truths that we see in Scripture is that God is sovereign over all things, yet we are responsible And we know that he's working all things for his ultimate good. Could be scary, but we know that he's good because we've seen it in the cross. And so like a kid, when he is with his, um, he's about to go into his room and the room is totally dark and he's freaking out. And the parent could try to explain to him all the nuances of how, well, don't you remember that actually there's no such thing as monsters that are going to come out of your bed? And don't you remember that? And you could try to explain everything to your kid. And depending on the kid's personality and yours, you may get somewhere. But it would be a whole lot better if you just took the kid by the hand and say, don't you trust me? Don't you trust my word? Don't you trust my character? Won't you just follow me into the dark room where you don't understand everything? I'm going to keep you safe. I think that's what we do when we grab hold of big truths like God is sovereign over all things, yet we are responsible for our actions. He's, he's crafting everything for his ultimate glory. How does that fit with some of these horrible things that we see? I don't know. I don't know. But I know he's good. And I know the word says both of those things. So I just grab a hold of that like, like, I, like the kid grabs a hold of his parent's hand and just follows and trusts. Because we've got his word, and we know his character because of the cross. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, he was sovereign over Pharaoh, uh, and he did that to display his glory. He judged him, and he's going to judge false teachers. And he'll get glory in, the ju- in his judgment over false teachers. Yes. So, you said that God has sovereignty over our heart, um, but as Christians and as, as just generally humans, our hearts are prone to wander, wander from sin. Uh, so that's kind of to say God has sovereignty over when our hearts are drawn to sin. But for the upright, no good thing is withheld. Does that mean God uses our sin for our good sometimes? 
Yeah, certainly. Uh, I think that's true. Um, and I would apply Psalm 84:11. God withholds no good thing from those who walk uprightly. Um, George Mueller was reflecting on that when his wife was about to die, and he prayed for her to not die. Um, but yet he he trusted that whatever God gave at that moment would be what is right based upon that passage. Uh, he said, so if it's best for me to have my wife, you'll give me my wife. If it's not best for me, you won't. And he didn't, and he trusted that that was best. And he rooted that promise in Christ. He was like, you know, it couldn't be said of me that I walk uprightly. But Jesus did. I believe him, and I'm trying to follow him. So this applies to me. Um, when we are, uh, yeah, I guess that's what I would say at the outset, and then could take that offline and talk more with you about that. It is 10.15. I want us to stop and uh, enjoy time with one another, and then we'll begin our service at 10.30. So let me just pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you for this time. Please help us to understand how your sovereignty uh, helps us rest in, uh, in our decisions that you call us to make. Help us to be faithful, restful, uh, responsible decision makers. In Jesus' name, amen.